BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This is the lunch rush at your local deli. Orders are flying in. Online, on the phone, and in person. Order for Nick. So is it possible that fast internet could help your business outrun the rush? It is with Comcast Business. Powering your connected devices with gig speed Wi-Fi and fast downloads and uploads. With Comcast Business, next level speed isn't just possible, it's happening. Comcast Business. Powering possibilities. Requires gigabit internet and compatible router. Actual speeds vary. What's out there is unknown. So at UC San Diego, out we go. Because to take on the challenges of the here and now, you got to get your feet wet, your eyes open, and your mind out there. Way out there. Turning the unknown into cures, culture, and connections with each step forward. So pack a bag, a notebook, and some sandals and get ready to look far and think further. UC San Diego. Learn more at ucsd.edu. Get in zone. AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? I got to change the oil in my car. Right now, get five quarts of Pennzoil Platinum Full Synthetic with an STP Extended Life Oil Filter for only $36.99. What do I do with my old oil? We can recycle your used oil for free. And do you have oil for my old work truck? You can find the right high mileage oil to help it go farther right here at AutoZone. AutoZone. Restrictions apply. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, my evil twin, bad weather friend, he always wants to start when I want to begin. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volgebaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. I, I don't usually ask, but I want to ask this time, what was that? It's, that's the song My Evil Twin by They Might Be Giants. Oh, <laughs> you go to them a lot, don't you? I do. They admittedly i'm an enormous they might be giants fan now we're going to talk about some twins today but i am under the distinct impression that not a one of these two guys is evil no no neither of them appear to be evil as far as i can tell though one has a mustache not a goatee well he there at times he has a mustache (laughs) yeah and we've got a story about that later so we're we're talking specifically about nasa's twin study but before we get into that we we we're going to set the ground here a little bit we've talked in previous episodes that space you know that that big black thing up in the sky is trying to kill you where most of the everything is yeah most of everything that's not us (laughs) that's out there it's trying to kill us it's Uh, uh, yeah yeah earth does a really good job of uh protecting us from deadly deadly space yeah so uh it's it's about as harsh an environment as you can get to uh 
Uh, and, and it takes a lot of effort to get there, actually. But at any rate, there are a lot of things that can kill you in space, some of which are pretty immediate, like the lack of oxygen. That'd be a big one. Uh, we need that. Uh, also, <laughs> Pretty regularly, yeah. Yeah. I, I was actually talking earlier today about someone was asking me, hey, does the tinnitus in your ear bother you all the time? I said, only when I think about it, and you're making me think about it. It's kind of like when you think about breathing, and then you get to a point when you think about breathing that you worry you will never stop thinking about breathing. Oh, no. Jonathan, can I be pedantic and say we recently had a, a listener write in and tell us to stop pronouncing tinnitus tinnitus and pronounce it tinnitus because the listener said that is how it is pronounced. Oh, well, that's funny because it's not the way that the guy who was telling me about my tinnitus was pronouncing it. And he was a doctor. <laughs> but could totally be wrong at any rate. So there are some uh, other concerns besides the immediate ones that will kill you right away. Uh, there's radiation. There's a lot of radiation out in space, different types of radiation, and mm -hmm. some of it is potentially extremely harmful to humans. Uh, you're in a low-gravity environment, which is precisely the kind of thing that human beings did not evolve in. Yeah. A uh, low-gravity <laughs> low environment means that you can lose muscle mass as well as bone density. I mean, there's some, some long-term effects that can easily be very detrimental if you are out there for any good length of time. Yeah, astronauts spend a lot of time on the exercise machines just trying to stave off this physical decay, and it doesn't work entirely. No, it's it, it at best it slows it. Yeah. Uh, it also does fun things like reshape your eyeballs. Yay. That's a good one. Makes you taller. We'll talk about that a little bit, too. <laughs> we will. Uh, I've got so, a fun fact about that. Interesting. So NASA has been studying the effects of space on living, breathing human beings for decades, right? Sure. So that's not anything new, but... Over but, you know, there's a problem with it, What's which that? is that you can never know exactly how somebody's health would have looked had they not gone into space. Yes, this is the problem we talk about with, like, weather control, because you can never tell if it would have rained without the weather control either, right? So what do you do? I mean, you send someone up in space, maybe they catch a really bad cold, and you aren't really sure if that was... You know, if if being in space made that easier for that to happen, how can you tell? Oh, sure, because a lot of what we're learning about about genetics, like the more we dig into the human genome, the more we realize that a person's very specific makeup and body chemistry has so much to do with how they with how they deal with environments. Yeah. So if you want to follow the scientific method, the ideal thing to do, if you could, would be to take two exactly identical humans and send one into space and keep the other one on Earth. But those never exist, Joe. Where would we find such people? Oh, identical twins. Yeah. And that's exactly <laughs> what has happened. Uh, we have just recently seen one identical twin, Scott Kelly, come back to Earth and rejoin his uh, his fellow identical twin, Mark Kelly, uh, here on the surface. I think only one of the twins is identical. Oh, I'm sorry. The one identical twin and the unidentical twin met up with each other. No, of course I'm kidding. Yes. Uh, so they – and NASA you – know, this was a great opportunity for NASA to say, let's take a look at how uh, the two compare and contrast after a prolonged exposure to outer space for one of them while the other one re remains here on Earth. So them being twins, I assume they were born on the same day. 
Yes. I mean, technically, if it were really close to midnight, they could be on two different days. Or if it was a really long delivery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's also oh. a possibility. But they were both born February 21st, 1964, Mark and Scott Kelly. Uh, so here's some little little bit of background information on the two. Mark Kelly attended the United States Merchant Marine Academy and received a bachelor's degree in marine engineering and transportation. Uh, much later, he earned a master's degree in aeronautical engineering at the U.S. Naval Postgraduate School. Meanwhile, Scott Kelly attended the State University of New York and received a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering. He also pursued postgraduate degrees. He got a master's degree in aviation systems from the University of Tennessee. And they would both wind up being pilots in the Navy. Yep. Uh, so between their initial college and their postgraduate work, they both joined the Navy. Uh, and they both became pilots. Uh, Scott became a pilot in 1987, and Mark became a pilot in 1989. And in 1994, they both graduated the U.S. Navy Test Pilot School. And if you know anything about test pilots, uh, and you take a look at where a lot of the pilots from the astronaut uh, class Pool. comes from, yeah, yeah. That, it's, uh, the U.S. Navy Test Pilot School, that's a large representation. They tend to have the right stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, if you're not a if you if you're not trying to become a top gun, you're trying to become an astronaut. Uh-huh. So at any rate, in 1996 they also both began training to become astronauts. So Scott Kelly was the first one to go into space becoming the pilot for the space shuttle mission STS-103. That's a good one. It was the discovery. It was a good one. This was the mission sent up to make repairs to a very important piece of equipment in orbit. The Hubble Space Telescope. Yeah, as if you recall, the Hubble had a couple of problems that needed We've to be adjusted after it had been launched. talked about that before, yep. yes. Now, I could be wrong about this, but I believe that that is the farthest anybody has gone from Earth since the moon. In, since the last moon mission would have been this particular would have mission, been the, the mission repair to mission. repair the Hubble. I, that sounds correct to me. I don't happen to know that because the Hubble's in a higher orbit yeah, than the space station. Then, then yes, exactly. The International Space Station's at a lower orbit. I think you're correct. Uh, so here's hoping. If we're wrong, people will let us know. Yeah. Uh, at any rate, Mark would then get his first chance to go into space in 2001. So a few years after Scott had gone up, and Mark piloted the Endeavour for mission STS-108, which brought astronauts up to the International Space Station. Uh, and both brothers flew on and commanded several other missions to space. They both were involved in them, never together, but they both were working in uh, on various missions throughout the years. At one point, they were actually going to be the first siblings to be in space at the same time. They were uh, uh, going to both be uh, – Scott, I think, was going to be up on the International Space Station. Mark was going to command a uh, – A launch. A launch mm-hmm. and, and launch into space. So they would both be in space at the same time. But uh, various delays pushed back the launch for um, for Mark's mission to further back in 2011. Mm-hmm. And it – pushed it beyond the time when Scott was returning from the International Space Station. Uh, and and Mark wound up retiring out of the astronaut business. Yeah, he did so because of a truly terrible moment in U.S. history, uh, one that uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will remember. So he almost didn't go on this, this 2011 mission at all after the delay because his wife, Gabrielle Giffords, who was a representative for the state of Arizona in the House of Representatives here in the United States, 
was one of the victims of a mass shooting. She was having a meeting with constituents in a parking lot at a supermarket, and uh, uh, a man opened fire into the crowd, killing a few people and hitting uh, uh, Giffords in the head. She survived, though. She survived and made a remarkable recovery. Everyone talked about how amazing it was that she was able to recover so quickly. Yeah, yeah. Although after after he did return from that mission, he he wound up retiring in order to help her with her continued recovery. Yes, she actually was able to attend the launch of his mission. Uh, She was able to recover enough to be there for that. And then a few months after he returned from his mission, he said, uh, I'm leaving the Navy, I'm leaving the, the space program, and I'm going to be with my wife. So that was, at that point, Mark ends up retiring from uh, the space program. But that doesn't mean he has to be done helping with space research. Mm-hmm. That is correct. He can do, he, he actually is helping with space research by not going into space. He's the control twin. So how does the twin study work? Uh, it was part of another project the one-year mission, uh, which is a little bit of a misnomer. Uh, it, there were two people who were part of this. One was Scott Kelly, and the other was a, uh, a Russian cosmonaut. And the idea was to send these two people up into space for 340 days. That's not exactly a year. Which is why it's <laughs> a misnomer. Our listeners will say. That's why it's a misnomer. Yeah, 340 days, so not a full year. But the purpose was to study the long-term effects of space on the human body, as well as a ton of other research projects, which I'll talk about in a second. So part of this is NASA's plan to try and build uh, build a path for us to get to Mars, uh, to have human explorers go to Mars. Not an easy path. Not an easy path at all, because as we've set, said in previous episodes, NASA's approach to a Martian mission would be about 30 months long. And that's partially because getting from Earth to Mars takes several months and getting from Mars to Earth, uh, back to Earth takes several months. But more importantly, in order for you to conserve fuel so that you don't have to have as heavy a a spacecraft, you have better chance of of success. Uh, Your mission is slightly less horrifyingly expensive. Yeah. And you are also spending the least amount of time in the most dangerous of the environments. Not that we remember Mars is trying to kill you too. Huh. Mm-hmm. It's just not trying to kill you as hard as space is. You can yeah, dig a hole ways. in on Mars yeah. and that's that's a little bit better than being in space. So also any, Mars has a little bit of gravity. Yes. At any rate the the uh trip you would want to launch your your spacecraft when the orbits of Earth and Mars are at their most advantageous where it's going to require the least amount of distance to travel from one to the other. And by the time you make that trip once, the two planets are no longer in that configuration. And you're going to have to wait a significant amount of time for them to come back around to that so you can make the return trip with that same smaller distance, which is why the overall mission would last 30 months. In order for us to get there, we have to know what are the long-term effects of space on the human body so that we can make sure that the people we send there have the best chance for success, and and we're not going to put people's lives in danger uh, because, or, or not at least not more danger than they otherwise would be just going into space in the first place. So very important type of mission. So at any rate, the two went up, uh, Scott Kelly and Mikhail Kornienko. Uh, this was they they were representing a joint operation between the Russian space program and NASA, and. 
the idea is that they're going to share all information and results with one another to benefit mankind uh, in an effort to get to Mars and beyond uh, in the future. Uh, yeah, and this is the longest that anyone has been up for a NASA mission, but not for a Russian mission. Yeah. So uh, there's a cosmonaut named uh, Valery Polyakov who spent nearly 438 days. I think technically it's 437.7 days. A little slacker. In space. <laughs> uh, uh, aboard the Mir space station. M-I-R space station. Uh, but that obviously was not a NASA mission. So that mm-hmm. was the longest anyone has spent in space. In fact, uh, uh, Polyakov said upon returning that, uh, in his opinion, we could totally go to Mars. Huh. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there's some great possibly apocryphal stories about some of the things he did as soon as he got out of his space capsule. But that's for another time. I'm like, yeah, was was that statement part of the space badness or? Well, he he seemed to be like uh, about as stereotypical a like think of your stereotypical big bear of a Russian. Uh-huh. Those are the kind of stories attributed okay. to this guy. Uh, like, uh, at any rate. OK, Um. so so what so what specifically uh was a study trying to look for? Well, uh, it's part of NASA's Human Research Program, or HRP. And some of it was just really basic stuff, like how do you provide for the long-term nutrition of astronauts going out into deep space? Because for shorter missions, it's not... I mean, obviously, you want them to have enough calories and the right nutrients to be able to do their job, but you're not thinking necessarily for long-term. People, you know, a lot of like the space shuttle missions lasted about a week to 10 days. So you didn't have to worry about that much. When you're talking about long term, you got to start thinking about other stuff that can set in like scurvy. So you actually have to sit there and think, all right, well, how do we make sure that they get enough vitamin C so that they are not going to be prone to scurvy? That sort of stuff. They also wanted to study things like fluid redistribution in space. I mean, fluid within the human body. Uh, we've talked about that. Uh, Joe, I remember when we talked about space foods, you talked about how a lot of people like the spicy shrimp cocktail partially because the fluid redistribution makes you feel kind of like you're congested and have a cold. And so it's hard to smell and taste things. Yes. So they wanted to study that into in greater detail and see if there were ways of of uh, of working with that. How how dangerous could it be? Could it actually impact things like your vision over time? That's really important stuff to know if I you're going to send people into space. does impact your vision, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, because of the aforementioned eyeball reshaping. Right. Yeah. So uh, they also wanted to find out ways to ward off stress and fatigue. Obviously, morale is going to be a very important thing for long-distance missions where you're going to be uh, feeling increased sense of isolation from everybody who isn't on your crew. Uh, you're going to feel the opposite of that for everyone who is on your crew because – uh, as Scott Kelly has said, it's it's tricky to find a way to fall asleep on these missions because you're so close to everyone else. If they have to be if they're on a task and you have a sleep shift, being able to sleep next to someone who's working is is challenging. So you have to design your spacecraft in such a way to try and limit the kind of noise and other interference you might encounter while someone else is trying to do his or her job. So things that I wouldn't have even really thought about, like, oh, yeah, I guess, you know, that could be a huge impact on your mental and physical health over the long term. So they wanted to look into that as well. 
And uh, they did tons of other science besides the, the, the various impact on the bodies. They actually uh, did 450 different investigations aboard the International Space Station over that 340-day stay. And only 18 of those 450 were actually about human reactions and functions. Everything else was various exploratory science, like what happens when you put worms in space? You get Dune. What does happen? Dune happened. No, it doesn't. It didn't really get a lot of coverage, but I'm pretty sure the thing I made up happened. (laughs) Wait a minute. You made up Dune? You're Frank Herbert? (laughs) Look, I don't like to toot my own horn, especially when I'm lying like crazy. So let's just move on with the twin study, okay? Excellent. What what about that twin study? (laughs) So this was the more specific study that was encapsulated in that one-year mission, right? The idea being that, hey, we've got an identical twin here on Earth. Who Um, must face my gom jabbar. (laughs) Unrelated to anything else that I've lied about so far. Now, we have this one uh, one guy on Earth, uh, and his identical twin is in space, so we can compare the two. We can do a whole bunch of different measurements before the mission – We can monitor people throughout the mission. We can do a bunch of studies after the mission is over, compare and contrast the two, and figure out what, if any, variables we can uh, eliminate from certain outcomes. Are there certain things that we can be fairly certain are due to the exposure to the microgravity environment being on the International Space Station for 340 days? Are there some where we can't be absolutely certain or... You know, in science, nothing is ever an absolute certainty. But which ones do we feel very strongly about versus which ones are a possibility, but we don't have enough information to really make a determination, that kind of stuff. So it involves 10 investigation teams who are all working together to look at the differences between the two twins. And these 10 teams are sharing all their work with one another, and their findings create an integrated study. So it's kind of like an integrated study with 10 mini studies inside it. Mini being M-I-N-I. Although each one is actually pretty impressive and exhaustive. Um, so because the twins share the same genes, the hope is that the investigations will give us those insights as to the real effects of space. So those 10 investigations fall into four broad categories. Uh, the first is human physiology. So how does space affect the various tissues and organs of the human body, including the heart, the brain, and your muscles? Uh, Then you have behavioral health. How does being in space for a year affect a person's ability to reason and to make decisions? How does it affect that person's perception and alertness? Uh, Uh, Does this include testing the ingestion of spice? I, I I never should have brought up Dune. The third one <laughs> is especially with me in the room, Jonathan. Come on, you know me. The third the third category is microbiology. So how did the two different diets that the the very you know the guy on Earth and the guy in space how did their diets and the various stressors that they experienced throughout that year affect the organisms in their respective guts. This this one is really interesting to me. Yeah, uh, yeah and it's especially important because we, we keep learning that, that your microbiome has a lot to do with other bodily processes, like like your immune system function and your mental health. Yeah, yeah, that, that the stuff in your guts can affect whether or not, you know, how you're feeling. Like, not just how you're feeling in your stomach, but how you're feeling upstairs, up in the brain. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of It's kind of crazy how much we see, you know, how big an influence we see down there, suddenly going with your gut has a much stronger implication yeah. than it did before. Uh, and then the fourth category is molecular and omics. On a genetic level, 
What effect does space have on a person? Which genes switch on or off in space due to various stressors, everything from microgravity to radiation exposure to just the sense of isolation? Uh, and how much of that does that uh, change in other ways? Like what sort of proteins and metabolites are in the body? Um, usually you would find that out through collecting various samples like urine and sweat and blood, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a, a related question here about whether time and space ages you faster. Uh, and, and this is due to recent research that's pointed out uh, the, the length of your telomeres as an indicator of your health and your youth. Uh, telomeres being sort of like like caps on the end of our chromosomes. I mm-hmm. think we've talked about them on the show before. Uh, they, they sort of protect our DNA from deterioration and other wiggy stuff, uh, disease issues, stuff like that. Um, and space radiation could potentially affect your telomeres. So that's one of the things they're going to be looking at. Um, but they're they're also going to do like a like a whole genome analysis, which is just so nerdy and terrific. I'm it's really excited about. Pretty it. Pretty cool. I, I I will be very curious to hear about the differences between the two genomes once this is all done. Yeah. Uh, so each individual investigation under those four categories, all of them have really long technical names. So I thought going through all of them would, at some point, you just sort of tune out. Yeah. <laughs> Because you're hearing a lot of technical uh, words. But here's an example. Uh, proteomic assessment of fluid shifts and association with visual impairment and intracranial pressure in twin astronauts. <laughs> That's rolls off the tongue. Yeah. Uh, these are very important studies. But like I said, if I were to list all of them by name, I'd have to take a break. Uh, one of the investigations ties into another topic we covered not that long ago, and that would be vaccines. So that particular investigation is called Characterizing Personalized Changes in Baseline Immune Abnormalities and Stimulated Immune Response in the Presence of a Benign Trivalent Inactivated Flu Vaccination. Whoa. Yeah. I told you they were long titles. So the purpose of that one, obviously, is to study the long-term effects of spaceflight on the immune system. Very important for us to know if we're ever going to send people to explore or colonize Mars, for example. Now... The really neat thing about this, to me, beyond just the idea that this gets us a little closer to our ability to go to Mars, is that we could stand to see incredible benefits from this research well outside of the space industry. Uh, And that's something that we talk about on this show all the time, the idea that research and science stands to give us incredible benefits that we cannot necessarily anticipate when we first start engaging in that investigation. Uh, although this is one that NASA was specifically looking toward, they they were thinking that this approach would allow them to help advance the study of personalized medicine. And that's one of those things that is a great promise of the future. We have a certain amount of personalized medicine today, but the idea of being able to essentially cater medical care to an individual based upon their genetics and their body chemistry is incredibly powerful, as opposed to the one-size-fits-some approach that medicine often follows, uh, at least sure. traditional medicine. Of course, yeah. Um, I Also, just, just on a, another like like warm, fuzzy kind of level, uh, it, this research is bringing together uh, dozens of universities and facilities around the U.S. and the world in, in order to look into this kind of stuff, which, yeah. is, which is just, aw, scientist buddies, yay. It's, it's neat, especially when you consider how the initial space race was fueled by the opposite, right? Yeah, so it's absolutely. nice to see it's nice to see collaboration as opposed to competition. Mm-hmm. 
Um, uh, so what have we actually learned so far? Well, uh, we have learned uh, from Scott Kelly that a trip to Mars is doable, in his opinion. That's that's him stating that based upon his experiences, he thinks that we have the capability of sending people to Mars uh, right now. It just is a question of making that choice. So that's very um, – that's, that's, that's really ambitious, obviously. Uh, I think a lot of people at NASA would argue that there needs to be some more intermediary steps before we take that particular jump. But it is very encouraging to see that from a person who actually went through and experienced this 340-day immersion in space. Uh, he also said that in order to keep himself motivated, he would focus on tasks. And in his downtime, he read a lot of email. He watched TV and movies. Uh, he would read just in general. He would also take lots of photos of Earth. And he said that normal activities helped keep him from feeling too isolated. He said it was really important, like the having scheduled tasks helped, but also just keeping himself occupied when he wasn't doing a specific investigation was really important. Otherwise, it just starts to get to you about how isolated you are from almost all of the rest of humanity. So... Um, also, something else we, we talked about earlier, he ended up growing, or at least ended up being stretching. taller, stretching, huh. by about, depending upon the source you read, I've seen up from one and a half to two inches, but one and a half inches is the, the source that NASA itself said, which is about four centimeters while he was up in space. But since that time, it hasn't been very long since he got back. It's been like eight or nine days as of the recording of this podcast. Right. Since that time, he's already returned to his normal height. Yeah. So this related to a fact, one of these factoids that uh, that I bet you've heard before, the one about how when you wake up in the morning, you are taller than you were when you went to bed at night. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if that was true, but I actually looked it up and it is true. That This is a what? fact. Yeah. I read um, a uh, there was a 2006 article in the medical journal, journal Scoliosis that said, the effects of gravity on the upright human posture are powerful. Individuals are as much as 25 millimeters taller. 25 millimeters. I mean, come on. That's not that much. <laughs> it says uh, 25 millimeters taller in the morning than in the evening as a result of compressive forces bearing down all day. Mm-hmm. And astronauts grow, grow in quotation marks, by nearly 75 millimeters when released from the force of Earth's gravity. So uh, so I thought that was really interesting. Not only is that fact true, but it's the same reason that you're taller when you get out of bed in the morning is why Scott Kelly was taller when he got back from space. Yeah. He didn't have gravity compressing him vertically all day. Right. It's not like they put in space lifts while he was <laughs> while he was aboard the ISS. Uh, so most of what there is to be learned through this study has not yet happened as of the recording of this podcast. The, the, the research is ongoing. So we don't have a lot of results that we can give right now. Maybe perhaps in, in a future uh, episode we can revisit this topic and talk about some of the specific results – that have been publicly uh, revealed by NASA. But right now, that's still ongoing research. Uh, and, of course, we also always have to remember that even once we get that research, there are variables that might be in play that have nothing to do with one person being on Earth and one person being in space. Uh, you can't, you know, you can't always be certain that uh, it's one particular thing that led to a result unless you've got an extremely carefully controlled experiment. And this experiment's awesome, and it, it stands to give us a lot of really useful information, but it's not 
the most carefully controlled experiment sure. I've ever read about. Sure. Uh, but it's really exciting stuff. Um, and I, I promised a kind of a, a fun story about mustaches <laughs> at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And here it goes. All so, stories about mustaches are fun. They, they can be, yes. I have my own mustache that I'll be twirling uh, soon. So uh, I've got mustache wax at home to actually apply to it. I might do that at South by Southwest. Let's find out. Yeah. We'll find out on Saturday. So anyway, this specific mustache story relates to the fact that uh, when it came time for Scott to launch into space back in March 2015. His twin brother, Mark, showed up at the launch facility, but he was clean-shaven, and Mark usually wears a mustache. So that threw everybody off because Scott is typically clean-shaven. Mark typically wears a mustache. Mark comes in with no mustache. People look at Mark, and they suddenly think, oh, my gosh, Scott isn't in the spacecraft, and we're launching. We're, we're launching right now. Why is Scott not in the – oh, it's Mark. Yeah. According to NASA Administrator Charles Bolden, Mark fooled everyone because the mustache was how they just told the two apart. <laughs> now, if you look at pictures of the two back when Mark was wear- sporting his mustache, uh, there are other notable differences, but – isolated, sure. when you're only seeing one of the two twins, I could easily see how you would make that mistake and have a moment of pure panic. So I thought that was really cool. Uh, and I, I love the, at least the article I read made it sound as if this was entirely planned by Mark. It's just a prank. Yeah, yeah, to pull a prank on NASA. And I, <laughs> I love that kind of sense of humor. It's also something you typically find with test pilots. <laughs> sure. Well, I, I mean, I, I think that also, like, any time that you can prank NASA, you're having a pretty good day. That's true. So this research is really cool, but I've got a proposal for the next thing they should do. Okay, what's yeah. that? The next stage after the twin study for a year in space should be the twin paradox study for a year at light speed. Ooh. Yeah. Or uh, I guess not at light speed, at 99% of light speed. Uh, you get to work on the near light speed engine. Yeah. Okay. I was about uh, to say, I, I, I foresee one minor stumbling <laughs> block before we are able to carry out that investigation. Uh, and I'll start working on recruiting some twins. Yeah. Now, if you're not familiar, the twin paradox it would be an interesting thing to study sure. in reality. It's it's sort of been a an experiment conducted in thought, and the math of it seems to work out. Yeah. But it would be interesting to see if it happens in reality. Of course, the idea is that if you uh, – you, uh, due to the effects of relativity, the time dilation effects of relativity, if you took two twins, put one of them in a spaceship and had it go near the speed of light for a certain amount of time and then come back to Earth, theoretically, the one living on Earth should have aged more than the one on the spaceship. Right. Time for each twin would have seemed to have passed at the same rate, but in reference to one another, it would be at different rates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in other words, the... The twin on Earth would think that the twin aboard the spacecraft was uh, living in slow motion. And the twin aboard the spacecraft would think the twin on Earth was living fast forward. But individually, they would each experience time as we normally do. That's one of those crazy things about relativity. Well, if you have crazy things to tell us... Don't. Just tell us the really cool stuff. <laughs> Send us an email. Our address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com. Or you can get in touch with us through social media. Our Twitter handle is fwthinking. You can search fwthinking in Facebook. Our Facebook page will pop right up. You can leave us a message there. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Thank you.
brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling.